There is no way in this world that my family fled from a tyrannical communist system, my parents did, to move to America so that I could somehow push and coerce and pressure and threaten people to take an experimental product that, you know, has no long-term safety. St- I mean, it just was unbelievable to me that this was happening. Ready to live at the higher vibrations where peace, love, joy, and good health are the daily standard? That's what this show is all about. Welcome to Vibe. And here's your host, Robin Openshaw. Hey, everyone. Robin Openshaw here. Welcome back to the Vibe Show. And Happy New Year, everyone. Um, I don't know what's going on with my laptop. So if you're watching rather than listening, you might notice I look a little bit grainy. But I want you to hear the story today of Dr. Renata Moon. So I think that this will be really interesting to my audience because y'all have heard maybe half a dozen doctors on my show who were either part of my journey after injuring my first two children and myself in graduate school and how I learned more and took the road less traveled, which I think everyone should make for themselves after doing their own research. But I think that you all would probably really enjoy hearing from someone whose first sort of exposure to the whole controversy around vaccines and injuries in children and adults. Um, We have the opportunity to listen to a pediatrician and I want to hear her story because it's actually really tragic what's happening to her and her bravest colleagues who are willing to actually uh, call attention to what does not make sense to them as moral, ethical physicians. So welcome to the Vibe Show, Dr. Moon. Yeah, thank you for having me on. Appreciate it. So I have so many questions for you, but we start with your background because you're both uh, a longtime pediatrician, what, 25 years or something like that, as well as faculty at a medical school, right? Yes. Uh-huh. Yeah. So I um, have to start with my disclaimer, which is that my views and my stories tonight are my own. I'm not here representing anyone else. Um, no past or present employer. But yeah, I've, I've practiced pediatrics for over 25 years. I trained at a top U.S. medical school. I really kind of followed the rules um, really all through my, my years in practice. And um, I will say that at the outset of, you know, you know I have followed the vaccine story as, as carefully as I could, but I, I didn't realize, I think, a lot of what was um, happening as much as I think I do now with, with what happened during COVID. So what was your first clue? Hey, something's not right here. This this product doesn't seem to be tested to where I feel comfortable recommending that medical students are going to become pediatricians or my own children in my practice get this vaccine. What what was your process there? Yeah, I, I initially, you know, I think when the COVID-19 pandemic, you know, broke open, I guess in the early spring of 2020, I think like everyone, we were all confused and, and concerned about what this virus was going to do and, and be. And it became really clear to me and, and to many of us early on that fortunately our children were spared from the virus, right? Like their their fatality rate was extraordinarily low, almost almost zero, statistically a zero. You know, we had we did have some fatalities across the US from alleged COVID. Um or attributed to COVID, but it was a very, very tiny fraction of the millions and millions of kids who had COVID without any problem at all. And as the as the shot began to roll out, I I, I never was excited about calling it a vaccine. It's it really wasn't. They had to change the definition of vaccine to fit this product. It really best fits in the sense of of being called a synthetic genetic product. So I just call it the shot. But you know, we didn't have any long-term studies for this. And the short-term studies for the shot were were terrifying, frankly. Uh, you know, why would we take children who have little risk, little to zero risk from the illness itself and give them an injection of something that has who knows what types of long-term side effects and that can give them some very scary, uh, very serious and even fatal long-term uh, problems. So uh, to me, it just didn't make any sense. And I, so I began to question that and found very rapidly that we can't question anything anymore without 
the shackles coming down on us without the handcuffs coming on. So in my situation, I've, I've practiced for you know over 25 years. I have a clean record of patient care. And simply for questioning the mandates and simply for questioning uh, why, you know, let's have a discussion. Why are we giving these shots to our nation's children, again, who have little to zero risk from this, uh, of a fatality from this infection? Logical questions. Uh, I've lost several jobs. And uh, now the state of Washington is reporting or is, is investigating my state medical license simply because I spoke at a Senate hearing and asked those questions. I said, why are we doing this? I have multiple friends who spoke at a state uh, legislature and are being investigated consequently as well. And we've fundraised here on this show for the doctors who are staring down the barrel of the gun. You mentioned that the short-term side effects in the data were terrifying. Why do you know that? And so many of your colleagues are still three and a half, four years later, still telling everybody to go out and get boosters, adults and children alike, supporting the fact that under emergency use authorization, this COVID injection was put into the childhood schedule so that every kid has to do it to go to school. Why Why aren't they seeing it? Why did you see it and it was so clear to you and your colleagues aren't seeing it? Yeah, I actually think a lot of colleagues are seeing this. I think they're just staying quiet because, you know, I, I certainly keep track of, of my colleagues in my area where I used to practice. And um, I actually ran into one just just about a month ago. And this is someone who had a... Had a uh, COVID shot clinic going and in their practice was was absolutely promoting and pushing this product. And now when I ran into this pediatrician after I haven't seen them for years, very like, yeah, this is not right. This is what they told me. Something's really wrong. I've I've backed off of this. I'm no longer giving this at all in the office, they said. And so people I think are seeing it. I think they just don't know what to do, honestly, at this point, because they see what happens to those of us who speak out. And that's the uh, direct intent, I think, of these agencies for coming after us. I mean, here I am, someone who practiced pediatrics in the state of Washington for 19 years, from 2004 until 2021. I held a license there until the early part of 2023 when I decided to leave the state because it had become so tyrannical uh, in terms of our ability to speak and to perform our job. So I had a clean record of patient care. And yet the Medical Commission is coming after me for speaking at an event in Washington, D.C., where I simply said, what what are we doing? Why are we doing this? And shared my anecdotal stories with what I've seen. Um, And so they clearly are trying to do this to intimidate physicians, to keep us from speaking out, and, and to silence us. And by doing that, they're silencing other physicians who have woken up to this and who just are afraid to say anything because they see us being dragged down the street, right? I mean, this is what this has come to. And um, I think for me, I would go back to the to a little bit earlier in my life, which is that my family actually fled here uh, from communism. So my parents fled a communist country to move to America. And I'm first generation here in America. I was born here. And I will say that the same propaganda that I saw when I visited my relatives living under communism as a young child, the same propaganda in their newspapers and in their in their media has absolutely infiltrated our media. We all know that it's this this fake news that we're um, that we all know about this this twisting of words and this this making things sound different than they actually are. And we've had that now in our media for you know I first noticed it back in 2010. 2011, somewhere in there, and it's progressively worsened. So a lot of my colleagues are listening to this, this fake news, this propaganda, this twisting of, of information, and they're believing it because it, they've slowly been introduced to it over time and they didn't see it for what it was. So, so when they're told by regulatory agencies that this product is safe and effective, they've, they've believed it um, without questioning anything. And so those that are still asleep, I think, are questioning, are not questioning because they believe the propaganda. And those physicians who are awake to this, I think, are fearful of saying more because they see what's happening to those of us who are speaking out. So my only solution right now is that we all have to speak out even more vigorously than we have been. 
uh, and get more of us to speak out about this. And then that's how we do this is we together have to move forward through this and, and be very loud that, that we can't handle this and we can't tolerate this. Yeah, I would say it's almost daily that I have someone tell me that their physician is telling them it's time for their whatever it is now, seventh shot or whatever. And, and I agree with you. I think we need to speak up, including the patients to our physicians. As far as I'm concerned, that's a litmus test at this point. If you're still pushing your patients into that product, you might be like kind of like bottom 20% in terms of awareness of the things that you should if you're going to be treating patients. I don't, I don't know why anybody would stay with a doctor who's pushing boosters at this point. Yeah, well, I think, you know, clearly with COVID, we've seen a product that uh, has not just harmed people, uh, given them, you know, problems that they didn't have medically before they took this product, but has also absolutely caused fatalities. I mean, we have autopsy proven fatalities from COVID and from the COVID, sorry, from the COVID shot. And so the younger you are, the more apparent those are, right? If you have someone who is in their 90s and has a stroke, right after they've had a COVID shot, it's really hard to separate out. Was this from old age? Was this from the product that was given? But when you have young people, when you have people in their teenage years, you know, in their 20s, in their 30s, who have an adverse reaction, who have a, a fatality, shortly after receiving this product, it's the product until proven otherwise. And they simply haven't proven otherwise. And, and we certainly do now have autopsy proven cases of, of myocarditis, which is inflammation of the heart that have led to fatalities in children and young people following the shot. The shot is not safe and it should be off the market. It should just be gone. So, you know, at this point, anyone who is being pressured into taking this it needs to be very loud and very clear with their physician that you will not do it. You will not take this. Um, and um, it's interesting. I think it varies from state to state, right? So, so, so in my area of Washington state, I am seeing physicians who are waking up to this. Is it all physicians? No, it's not. Is it many of them? Yeah, there's actually a number of them now that are, have woken up to what's happening and have quietly removed it from their offices. But that's not the solution because the I think we all can see what the big problem is, right? We have regulatory agencies that were tasked with making sure that the public is safe from the different products that are being introduced uh, into society, into medicine, right? And we have seen those regulatory agencies become fully captured to the point where they are actually more advertising, marketing. That's that's really their main role now, it seems, is to market and advertise these products for the pharmaceutical companies. They're so captured by the pharmaceutical companies. And then on the other end of things, you have physicians, many of us, who have been absolutely silenced and we can't even ask basic, logical, sensible questions without them coming after our entire career. So these same regulatory agencies that are now, that are the state agencies, that, you know, they're there to make sure that doctors aren't, you know, taking, aren't doing horrible things over and over again, taking terrible care of patients. You know, clearly physicians uh, who have a clean track record of patient care for many decades and simply ask logical, sensible questions about the safety of a product are not there. They're not, that's not why those agencies are there to come after us, right? They, these are, we're seeing the weaponization of these agencies against people for simply speaking and doing their jobs and fulfilling their obligation to, you know, their Hippocratic oath to do no harm and to take care of patients. So we are in such a trapped system right now with both ends of this so trapped that we, there is no way forward without the American people saying very loudly and clearly that no more of this, no more, this needs to stop. Yeah, the 1% of doctors or the 1% of 1% who are willing to speak up can't do this by themselves. It has to be coming from us, the patients. There's a lot more of us, I absolutely agree. Um, I know that you said you've lost multiple jobs. I know that like no patient or patient's parent has ever complained about you. You've never had a lawsuit, which is actually kind of saying a lot in 25 years. Um, so, but you've lost multiple jobs. Is it all going back to like, do you get a new job and then they find out about you're speaking to the Senate or are you speaking up to medical students or you're, you've been accused of not towing the party line and the CDC 
dogmas to medical students or why does this keep happening? Yeah, I've had two job losses and I am not sorry about them. I spoke and I did my job. So, so be, and I'll explain what happened. So, um, but I also, you mentioned that I've never had a patient complain about me. I mean, every physician has had some patient complain about them, right? This, I don't have a clean record as far as, you know, there, there's no such thing as 100% of people love you, right? There's always some reason somewhere, somehow, but I've never had any actions against any medical license. I've never had any lawsuits against my medical license. You know, I've always done my best to take care of patients, you know, to the best of my ability. And so I have a clean record of patient care. And so my first job loss was actually over the mandate. So it came from a Kaiser Permanente in Washington. And uh, they, you know, they mandated these shots for people, for, for us in the clinic and for people, for my patients. Um, and we're really pushing them. And I said, no, I said, there's, we're not doing this. I said, there is no way in this world. And I, was, I sent them a nice letter, but I said, there is no way in this world that my family fled from a tyrannical communist system, my parents did, to move to America so that I could somehow push and coerce and pressure and threaten people to take an experimental product that you know has no long-term safety. St- I mean, it, it just was unbelievable to me that this was happening. So I said, no. I said, I'm not going to do that. They asked for my own shot record for the COVID-19 shot. And I said, no, I won't tell you my own shot record because it's not your business. I'm a free human being. And we knew at that point that the shots did not stop transmission and they did not stop the spread of the infection, right? So just like anyone, if I had had the shot or if I didn't have it, if I one day came down with symptoms of COVID, I wouldn't go into the clinic and I wouldn't see patients for a few days until I was better, right? So it wasn't going to change that. So I said, how, as my employer, do you think you have the right to tell me what experimental product I need to inject into my body? You don't. So I'm not going to give you my personal healthcare information. So I refused to give them my personal healthcare information. And they the deadline came and went. And then they sent me an email and they said, you failed to give us your, your vaccine information. So you will no longer be seeing patients for the next two months, unpaid, unpaid administrative leave until you comply and until you show us your shot record and you, you get these shots. And I said, no. And so then they pulled me from my completely, I was booked for four to six weeks out in my clinic. My patients have no idea where I went. They just disappeared me from clinic, perfectly healthy. Uh, this was in the fall of 2021. And then my second job loss came actually this year in 2023. I've taught at medical schools for most of my career. And um, I I had flown to Washington, D.C. on my own personal time off to speak to the Senate, as I mentioned earlier. I just shared some anecdotal stories with what I was seeing in clinic and what my concerns were with a U.S. senator, with several U.S. senators in Washington, D.C. at a clinic hearing. Again, not, not there representing the school in any way. And the school sent me a memo when they realized that I'd been there because it was a public event that was televised. Uh, They sent me a memo, you know, very upset that I'd attended this and told me that it might not, I no longer would be suitable to teach their medical students. And so just a few months later, they didn't renew my annual faculty contract. So thus terminating my employment. So I lost my second job from a medical school. And I want I want people to really sit for a minute and reflect about how terrifying that is, right? Because these are these are our nation's future doctors. So what does my being fired or my losing my job at the school over this mean to their freedom of speech? You know, it sends a very clear message to all faculty and to other medical students. And that is that you better color in the lines. You better not ask any questions. We don't want you critically thinking. We don't want you to question anything. If you see a product that you think has dangers and you want to go on your own personal time and speak in Washington, D.C. to a senator, well, we can't let you do that. So they're sending these students a very clear message, and that is that you need to toe the line, the party line. So I think that second firing actually scares me more than anything because uh, it tells us where our nation is headed if we don't stop this. Well, and I think that they know that your colleagues are watching and Mm -hmm. that you're the sacrificial lamb or you're the, you're being made an example of. And my guess is that you were a little straight A student like I was and a mm-hmm. real follower. And um, three years ago, we were 
my husband and I were kicked off of a jumbo jet in Atlanta and just had to get kicked out of the airport into the rain. We hadn't refused to wear the mask. And and I was on different alternative media channels and uh, several million people saw our story. And I always tell people, it really wasn't about us because the following Monday after that Thanksgiving, all of the headlines in all mainstream media was that over 400 families were kicked off of airlines over the Thanksgiving holiday. And so it was very clear to me with my interactions with the Delta employees, we never refused to wear a mask. Um, that they had been empowered and told to do something and that they needed to make an example of the whole bunch of people and get some headlines and get everybody else put their head down and be quiet. And I kind of wonder if you are this the example they're making for the rest of the medical system to be terrified and put their heads down and be quiet. But maybe because you escaped communism and knew more about it. I mean, I find most Americans don't even know what communism is. Like they can't even define it. Yeah. I mean, I didn't escape from it personally, but I I came, I was born to parents who did, right? And I have all my relatives, you know, other people, other people knew their grandparents, right? Because you grew up here in America with your grandparents nearby, many of you. My grandparents lived behind a prison wall. I mean, literally behind a barbed wire electric fence with watchtowers. That's what had happened to their nation. And they were trapped. Like Romania or Poland or... Former Czechoslovakia. Yeah. So as an 11-year-old kid, I traveled there and I saw... Uh, my, mom, my mom took us there so I could see grandparents and aunts and uncles. And, you know, it was just... It was great. But it was all these people just kissing me and hugging me. And I didn't know who they were and feeding me things. And, you know, you're a little kid. But I remember we were tracked. And they were tracked. If you went from one village to another, you had to show your papers. You couldn't just travel to visit an aunt and uncle, you know, two villages over. You had to check in with the local police department because they kept tabs on everything that you did. And that was before computers. You know, they are absolutely right now trying to trap us into a system where we will be, you know, digitalized. You know, you will be trapped within a certain location. You can see where this is headed because it's it's happened before prior to even all this technology that we now have. So, so I saw how they lived. They, you know, my, my mom likes to say, oh yeah, we were equal under communism. All right. We were all equally destitute and hungry and, you know, miserable. And so, you know, to leave your whole family behind and to flee from one of these systems, you know, think about what it would take right now for you to flee America, right? What would it take? It would have to be pretty bleak to leave. It was very bleak for my relatives. Very, very bleak. Life and death type situations. And um, so when you see where this is headed and you see Americans just giving away their freedom, just saying, oh yeah, it's fine. You know, yeah, we've lost some freedom of speech, but you know, it's okay. Like it's, it's all right. It's absolutely not okay. This is the first step that is used to silence all of us and to take away our rights. And once you have that, once you've lost those rights, it's really hard to get them back really hard to get them back. Yeah. I just got off a plane two days ago and it's the 10th flight in a row I've taken. Like I really didn't fly for those two years. I was kicked off of Delta for two years. Uh, They deep planed a jumbo jet to disinfect from us because my mask had fallen below my nose. That's how we got kicked off the flight. Um, That's the story anyway. And um, so I haven't flown as much as normal, but in the 10 flights I've taken in each one, the TSA has opened my suitcase and 10 times now there's been their little calling card in my suitcase. My husband never gets it, but I always have their little calling card like, Hey, we were here. We went through your stuff and the first line and they're, you know, it's like this tall, skinny thing. You've probably, you've probably had it, but I've literally had it every single time I I've flown. It's basically telling me that um, it says the first line says, this is for your safety. This is for your protection. But I kind of have to think, you know, when I when I posted that on Facebook two days ago, that this is like the 10th time that I've seen it in the last two years. Um, there were several people defending it in the comments and they're perfectly happy with it. And I have to think as it, it's occurring to me as I'm talking to you where your parents were in a communist country. And so you know their stories and it's much closer to you. All these people who were commenting, they're, they take their freedoms for granted. They don't know anything about what... Uh, there's one of them I've known for 25 years and he just keeps defending all of the tyranny 
and is perfectly happy to submit to all of it because he kind of just doesn't, I maybe just doesn't know anything about history and isn't aware of, of how on the brink we are. Yeah, we are on the brink. We are absolutely on the brink. And I think that it's all, we're in the fog. No one's coming straight out and saying this to people, right? Like there's a huge problem, but, but, you know, I think it's hard to find somebody right now who doesn't understand that we've lost freedom of speech, right? People know that freedom of speech is, is, is going away. What they don't realize is that, yes, we've lost freedom of speech up to a certain point, but it gets worse. Once the concrete hardens on this, if it continues to to happen, then you really can't speak at all because they will take your things. They will take your own money. They will restrict your travel. They will, uh, they will come in and put you in jail. So if my relatives, you know, if they had meetings where they would discuss things that were not allowed, the ministry of truth, so to speak, didn't allow them to, to talk about something, you know, they had to be very quiet and whisper and pray that a neighbor didn't, you know, rat them out for speaking because then the next thing that you had was the equivalent of the KGB coming in the door and off you went to a gulag and to prison somewhere, right? So this is how these tyrannical systems progress. So right now it's just like, oh yeah, we've we've lost our free speech. Ha ha ha. What, what are you doing this weekend? Are you playing soccer? Are you going to the game? You know, people don't really connect how serious this is. The, the next step is, is that you can end up in jail for simply speaking. And uh, we are very rapidly descending into that type of a system. Uh, you know, our children will suffer, will, will suffer immensely if we continue down this path. And and yes, I agree with you. I'm sorry that's happened. I've actually never had a note like that in any suitcase, but um, uh, but I I don't. I'm sure I will at some point. I think I'm I'm sure I'm on some list for simply speaking, like we all are, just simply for thinking and logically and speaking. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not sure what how they do their lists. I just know that my husband's never had one of those in his suitcase, and I've also gotten phone calls from the FBI, especially since. Standing up for some of these doctors, and we sent, um, we had 5,000 people send an email on behalf of Dr. Pierre Corey and Dr. Ryan Cole and Dr. John Littell and Dr. Casey Del Coco and a few others whose um, licenses were threatened. You know, it was a wave before what what you've been in uh, going through. Um, but I, I'm, I'm super curious about this and I don't, and I don't want to put you at ill ease asking you this question. So I'll couch it with telling you that Pierre Corey is a good friend of mine now. In fact, uh, Dr. Moon and I are recording this right before New Year's Eve and he's coming to our New Year's Eve party, um, tomorrow night. And I have had very frank conversations with him where he says, yeah, I absolutely would have gaslit you and would have walked out the door. I interviewed someone else recently who said she had, she had left allopathic medicine and she was doing regenerative medicine and she did the stem cell injection in my, my shoulder last week. And I said, so how'd you get here? How'd you end up in this functional medicine clinic? And she said, well, people like you, people who ask questions, people who are a little bit cynical about allopathic medicine, people who don't want to take every drug you're told to take, you don't even want to know what is said about you when you walk out of the room. By my colleagues. And she said, I, I just couldn't take anymore. So I thought that was like an interesting way to put her two sentence answer to why she left allopathic medicine. But I am curious because Pierre Corey said, I would have absolutely gaslit you. I would have thought you were a woo woo, crunchy, hippy dippy dumbass. And I would have, I don't know if he used those exact words, but anyway, I'm curious, like, did you encounter mothers like me who had quit vaccinating their children? Would you have kicked me out of your practice because I quit vaccinating my second child? I was kicked out of a, a medical practice, a pediatrics practice when I took my third child in for an ear infection and, and I was shown the door and given my children's medical records. How did you feel about people like me before 2020? No, I think it's a really fair question. And, and Dr. Corey's awesome. I, I think he's great. I, I know him too. So he, you know, I think back and I think back to like the, so I finished training in the late 1990s and um, in the early, and and I did, I actually saw the system working then. I I saw them pull the rotavirus vaccine over less than 100 cases of a rare intestinal problem nationwide. And they pulled it out of an abundance of caution and it was years before they brought it back. So I saw the regulatory agencies working in a much more um, kind of satisfying, I thought, way. 
And I, and I trusted them. I certainly had my eyes peeled when the discussion was being held, like in the early 2000s about, um, MMR vaccines specifically. And, and, um, you know, was really anxious to see what was, what was going to come out of that. And they, you know, they reassured pediatricians, but we've looked at MMR left and right and upside down and backwards and forwards. And we've done every study we could possibly do. And and it's clean. There's not anything is what they told us. And, and, you know, as an individual physician, you just don't have the time, honestly, because many of us had children at that point and families to raise and, and careers. And you just don't have time to go back and duplicate what you think is a huge, large group of, of physicians analyzing something. But but I, I did um, in the early like 2000s feel pretty strongly that people who absolutely didn't vaccinate at all were, were too far removed from what my training had been. And I, I wasn't really excited about having them in practice, in my practice. And I did briefly think about not having them in my practice at all and just refusing them. And I think that speaks to how the medical system teaches us, right? It, it teaches us as we come out of training that that's in, in some ways the way to be. But I never did that because I sat and I thought about it and I thought, no, these parents have the right to make decisions for their own children. I'm not here to make those decisions for them. And the system is not here to make those decisions for them. You know, this Aren't is what- there rewards and punishments. Like if you're practice isn't a percentage vaccinated, you get penalties or rewards? Yeah. So um, I've never seen that. I know that they did keep track as I got further into practice. They These systems did keep track of how many, what percentage of your patients were vaccinated. But I there was never any carrot being dangled in front of me for many. I would have found that to be really problematic. I would not have liked that at all. Um, I'm, I'm a pretty big stickler about, you know, people make their own decisions. And so early on in my practice, yes, I did have some thoughts about whether I would, I would take patients who didn't vaccinate, but as time went on, I actually, um, the last number, really the last chunk of my practice years, I've had many patients who didn't vaccinate and, um, I, I would sign their, their exemptions for them and do all that for them. And I, I found them to be lovely people who, you know, love their kids immensely and had made different decisions. And that's how I thought of it. Um, but I certainly, you know, understand what Dr. Corey said at the same time. I mean, I, I did have a few where I'm like, okay, I really wish he'd had this. And, and at this point, really, all I, I personally have to say about traditional childhood shots, I'm not speaking about the COVID shot at this point, but about traditional childhood shots is I, I really just think that the COVID situation has opened so many people's eyes. And what we really want is to understand, you know, what is the data? What data do we have about each individual childhood traditional shot? What's the safety? What are the risks and benefits? How do they all work together? you know, increasingly we're realizing that those studies were never done is what's coming out. And I've, I've watched some of the Dell Bigtree uh, interviews that Aaron Suri did. Um, and, and they're shocking because they clearly have misled a number of, really all physicians have been misled about the extent and the depth and the, um, the, the job that was done in, in looking at these uh, shots. So I think we all have questions about how long this corruption has been there and how long this has been going on for. And that that was, my eyes were open to that during the COVID uh, situation of the last few years. So so I think that's kind of a long answer to your question, but but no, I've never taken any money for, um, for traditional childhood vaccines. I suspect that probably um, with what I'm hearing that the employers that we all had probably did receive some money. If not, probably not. It's probably not just a probably. It's probably almost a certainty that they received some money for it. But it didn't make its way down to the individual pediatricians that I ever saw. Yeah, it's it's uh, the doctors who have told me that on this show have been the owners of the practice. In oh, fact, Dr. Paul Thomas, who I believe has lost his license now mm-hmm. for publishing um, studies he did on his uh, patients who he spread out their vaccines. He didn't. He, he said he talked, he went from room to room talking himself out of, or talking parents out of a million dollars a year in revenue. Yeah. And I asked him, him if it were true. And maybe if you weren't the owner of the practice, maybe this, you wouldn't have an answer to this. But I said, is it true that like 85% of your practice's revenue goes to overhead? And so like you kind of need the revenue of multiple shots in every arm 
for the numbers to make sense? And and he said, yes, because I'd had a few pediatricians tell me that. But I, I just want you to know that all of us parents who have for decades had these awful experiences like being kicked out of a pediatrics practice when your child has an ear infection um, or trying to talk to a pediatrician about an issue and having, oh gosh, I had a with my first child who had severe life-threatening in and out of hospitals, asthma after his MMR, nobody ever looked at the fact that this kid had just had MMR and suddenly he had life-threatening asthma and allergies and was like uh, hospitalized and on every four hours albuterol and five courses of steroids in a year. And it was the fifth course where the pediatrician told me this is guaranteed to stunt his growth. But I still didn't connect. I didn't connect the two. I mean, it's obvious from medical charts, that's what happened. But no, the pediatrician never said, hmm, this happened right after MMR. And it was only after my second child got the MMR and suddenly she had life-threatening asthma and also was covered with eczema. You know, the, those being, you know, kind of a cluster eczema, allergies and and uh, asthma. Anyway, I had to enter my second child to connect the dots and say, hey, this both of these kids were perfectly healthy nine-pound babies, breastfed, everything right and suddenly they get these three injections and they're in life-threatening situations overnight i just want you to know they're not in the data yeah my two children's life-threatening situations are not in the data about mmr because nobody ever followed up and i didn't know that i was supposed to get them in some data yeah you start to hear this and you you know (laughs) I don't even have words right now for what we all, the, the American people deserve some answers to this. We really do. And and your physicians as well, because we have been gaslit along with you, I think with much of this is, is the concern. I, you know, you can see it happening with COVID now with myocarditis. All of a sudden myocarditis is, you know, again, it's the inflammation of the heart muscle, which is very serious, very serious problem, but also extraordinarily rare before the COVID shots came out. And, um, you know, as part of what I spoke with at the Senate hearing, I said, I clearly know of an increase in my community of myocarditis because I'm hearing about it more than I I ever did previously. You know, this is something that as a fully experienced and and pediatrician who's practiced for 25 years, I've only seen maybe a couple of cases in my entire 25-year career. And now I know about way too many cases. I mean, I I went to have... um, lunch with someone I hadn't seen for a long time in a, a different state. And and her 20-something-year-old son had just been medically discharged from the military. Five days after his second dose of mRNA shot, he was diagnosed with myocarditis and had all the symptoms of it. It's, you know, it's a year later and he's still on disability. Medical disability is a previously healthy 20-something-year-old young man. You know, it's just one example of what I know about it's it's too many, you know, but they're they're telling us that, oh yeah, it's it's you know, it, it's more common than we we think. No, we we know how common it used to be. And we know how rare it used to be, is what I should be saying. And so this idea that now we're supposed to accept this this problem is just unbelievable that we're that we're here. And so we've seen it with our own eyes. And I, I look back at the lens of like, what else is there? I mean, we all know autism. That's the big question everyone's asking, right? Autism cases have risen exponentially since we were kids. The American people deserve answers. We deserve answers. I'm not ready to implicate any one shot because I'm not going to make things up. I, I just want answers. We all want answers. Is there a link with these shots? And there's enough reason to believe at this point that we need we need answers and we need better data. Um, yeah, I'm speaking of autism. One of my uh, longtime friends, haven't talked to her since COVID, saw her out there pushing the COVID jab, couldn't believe it. I've interviewed her and found her to be kind and open-minded towards those of us who are choosing not to vaccinate, but she was out there pushing the COVID vaccine. She said, um, she's about my age, I'm about to turn 57, that... Uh, they were told they would see autism like once or twice in their careers. And yeah. then the 1986 National Vaccine Injury and Compensation Act occurred. And over the next however many years, vaccines doubled and doubled again and doubled again. And and uh, I believe that pediatricians are now seeing multiple cases of autism in their practice a day. Am I wrong? It's very common now. It's very common, like multiple cases a week. 
um, sometimes. And I, it wasn't like that when I first started practice. No, it was not. And I see the same type of thing happening with myocarditis. Like we shouldn't, and again, I want to be clear and I wasn't clear about this part. So let me add this part. I've actually never ordered the COVID-19 shot for any child, like for any of my patients. And so something that, that, you know, I saw right from the get-go and I think maybe has made it easier for me to speak out because I think people who did order it probably have a certain level of, of, of guilt, right? Because they did. I, the minute I saw what I realized was happening, I began to speak out. And so I've never ordered it, but, uh, but you know, we, and, and many patients now are not getting and haven't been getting the COVID-19 shot. So, uh, you know, that's, so I don't tend to see when I'm out practicing, I don't tend to see this in practice. I'm talking about just life experiences, you know, uh, people that you meet that, that say, oh, well, my, like, like, for example, I was taking a history on a patient just a few weeks ago. And the mom told me as part of her family history that her nephew was diagnosed with myocarditis a week after his mRNA shot. So these are the kind of, so they're not my direct patients, but I'm hearing about it from our community and from uh, just from everyday life. There are way too many cases and it's being normalized. So I open up a pediatric journal. This has been happening for the last year now. And all of a sudden, myocarditis seems to be this big topic that they want to have all of us learn about. This this rare entity that we were only supposed to see a couple times in a a career now is something that they're devoting entire hours to during continuing education sessions. Why is that? Why is that? Why has that become something? The other day, I opened up a, a medical journal and it's all about sudden cardiac death in children and how we need to do more to prevent it. Okay, the American people have many questions, right? Many questions. And we all want to know why the incidence of sudden cardiac death has seemingly massively increased since the rollout of this product. That's this product that we know causes inflammation of the heart, which can then lead to scarring, which can then lead to electrical rhythm issues within the heart itself. We want to understand why why this is not being discussed openly and why this product is still available. Uh, on the market for children who have, uh, you know, statistical zero percent risk of a fatality from the COVID infection itself. So there's so many questions the American people have, and we need to just be loud about it and continue um, to push forward because we cannot let this situation continue. Yeah, yeah. I think every American family has these stories, whether they're looking at them or willing to look at them or not. But of my four children, the youngest one um, did not listen to me. I begged and pleaded. It came to the point where he said to me, and he's never said anything like this to me before since, if you send me one more piece of information about the vaccine, I'm going to block your number. And I cried. I I read it and I cried. And then he did it to get on an airplane to Hawaii. And um, almost a year ago now, he told me that he had been having acute chronic pain, showed me the picture of his chest, where it was, it's where the heart is. And I cried some more. And anyway, uh, he's still not diagnosed. He's not in the data either. This is not one of my first two children. This is my last child. And he's not in the data either because, and maybe this will sound completely insane. I, If you told this kid to not play sports twice, twice a day like he did, or if you diagnosed him, if I thought there was some treatment that allopathic doctors had for it, I've got him juicing. He's got a juicer. He's taken the supplements I've been able to research. I honestly think he might be suicidal if you told him to go be a boy in a bubble and not exercise at the age of 23. It's too much of who he is. And I've just decided to not know. And and you know what? We, We all, all of us have family and friends and, and many people personally took this shot. That's my heart breaks for for everyone, all of us, because we don't know, right? We don't know what the risks are. And but we have to we have to understand that continuing to move forward and inject these into children and and young people without having those answers is absolutely the wrong thing to do. And right now they have us so silenced with this with this captured pharmaceutical companies, captured medical schools, captured everything, regulatory agencies that we just cannot let this continue to be the future for our children and our grandchildren, right? So I'm terribly sorry that you have that stress. I, I know so many families who have that same stress and we just have to live the happiest lives that we can, right? At this point. And, and you know, but we need to do the right thing moving forward. And, and we all have to do that by linking arms and not, 
and, and just moving forward and, and being very loud about this. I, I've seen patients in clinic. I'm just, I'm devastated by what's happening with my colleagues, with those that don't see what's happening. You know, I have patients who've come to me, many of them actually, whose children have been kicked out of the clinic, the pediatric clinic, for refusing the hepatitis B shot for their baby, for example, for their newborn baby. Well, a newborn baby gets hepatitis B from the mom. The mom has been tested for hepatitis B and knows what her risk factors are for for having hepatitis B. These moms don't have hepatitis B. They have no risk factors for hepatitis B. They have made what is a very logical and sensible choice to not give the hepatitis B vaccine to their newborn infant. And they've been kicked out of the healthcare system as a result. I just, you know, did our colleagues not sit through lectures on ethics? Did they not sit through lectures on conflict of interest and informed consent? You know, this is it's just so, I, I've had parents in the office crying because they're just like, thank you for taking me into your practice. It's it's terrible what's happening. You know, this, this we, we're, ta- we're turning away our own citizens. We're, we're keeping them from healthcare because they've made logical, sensible decisions, all because of the fear and the propaganda and the, the mirror and smoke the smoke and mirrors effect of all this propaganda and the fear from the COVID vaccines. We need to stop this. Like this needs to stop. And we need to take care of one another and love each other and be kind to one another as a society again. We're doing this for our children and our grandchildren, right? I agree. And I won't get started on the Hep B vaccine, but I believe that my third child was vaccinated in her first day of life. Uh, against my will. And I've had nurses tell me that they do that because they think that they're saving the child from from her dumb mother, um, just based on the symptoms she had leaving the hospital. And she she shouldn't have, she shouldn't have had those symptoms and they're very textbook and classic. But um, when I was kicked out of pediatrics practice, I did find a woman about my age who had about the same number of children I did, although she went on to have, I think, seven and I was so grateful to Dr. Melissa Kendall in Orem, who is still practicing anybody who is listening to this. I doubt that she's changed her mind. I went to her and the first thing out of my mouth is like, after I quit vaccinating my kids, they didn't get sick anymore. So it was literally sports physicals, scout physicals for scout camp. And one time I had warts burned off and one time I had an ear infection I took my kids in for. But the first thing I said to her is, are, are you going to kick me out of your practice? Like I, I didn't, I'm not going to give all the vaccines to my kids. I haven't given them all. Will you support that? And she said, yeah, I think it's a controversial decision and I support your right to choose. And, you know, probably sounds like I cry about everything, but I kind of got emotional about that because it's actually really scary to think that these doctors who took the Hippocratic Oath and that their whole career goal was to help parents and their children would turn us away because of a product we didn't get. And, you know, I got, a, I got, when I was kicked out of that pediatrics practice, they said it was for the safety and protection of their other patients. And I wrote them a big long letter that they probably didn't read, but I said, but if your product works, like why, why would my child be a risk to your patients if they're actually protected by the product that anyway, so Dr. Moon, I'm, I'm sure so there are sorry. people who would love to I'm so sorry, has such a negative. I, I really am. I really apologize on behalf of the medical system. This is this is not, you know, healthcare should be there to help the patient in front of you, right? It's not there to help the pocketbooks of people. It's not there to help the pharmaceutical companies make money. It's 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 really there to help take care of the patient in front of you. And I'm really sorry that medicine has lost its way. Uh, it, it's been devastating for for me to watch, honestly. It just as it's been for you to live it. I I, I just apologize. Well, I appreciate that, but I, um, I've also been blessed by many good practitioners and recognize that the vast majority want to do right. And probably those pediatricians who kicked me out of their practice, uh, thought they were doing something noble. What can we do to support you? Do you have a fund for your legal fight? I assume that you're going to fight some of these things that are happening to you. Yeah, the, the so so for me directly nothing. I'm I'll be fine. This is something that um you know I'll I'll get through. It's not about me. This is about freedom for all Americans. I I literally see how terrible this is, and I I appreciate all of you who have seen this earlier than than I did. And I you know 
but but I see it now and many of us see it now. We have a large group of pediatricians that see this. So yes, we're fighting back with, with legal means. And so there is a group called Silent Majority Foundation uh, that is a national group, but it's out of Washington State, um, Silent Majority Foundation. And I'll send you the link for the um, webpage. It has the documents that the legal team has put together to fight in my case. Uh, any support that you could give to the legal team, I can guarantee you will go to a great cause because if it, the funds don't go uh, into my direct fight, they will go uh, to the the fights that other people, other physicians have and other people have as they're, they're fighting this tyrannical system. Washington State, where, where I practiced, is one of the worst states right now. It really uh, is. It really is. And I know a number of healthcare practitioners who've left there, doctors, nurses, and others. Yeah. Um, your your the governor there is just among the worst. So welcome to Florida, and I hope that you find a place to thrive here. And um, yeah. I I wish I knew about them. I I definitely would like you to send me that link, and we'll put it in the show notes. Yeah. I just gave because both were ma- had matching donors uh, twenty thousand to ICAN Network with Aaron Siri and twenty thousand to um um uh what not. Matt Staver, why is it not coming to me? Legal. Anyway, they they fight for religious rights and for medical freedom. Yeah, and that's what this group, Silent Majority Foundation as well. The lawyers there, they're fabulous. I just love them. And I promise you all the money will go towards the fight. So nothing for me personally, thank you. But for, for the legal fight would be appreciated. Absolutely. And, and we do have a clinic that we've opened that I'm a part of uh, in Venice, Florida. Anyone interested, it's called We the People Health and Wellness. In Venice, Florida, um, we've already been, you know, the the mainstream propaganda media has already said horrible things about us, which I think tells us that we're doing the right thing. So, uh, you know, I'm practicing pediatric care the way I always have, which is that you as a parent get to help weigh in and make decisions. And I'm not there to tell you what to do uh, as far as a, you know, tyrannical kind of system. So, but we see kids and we see adults. We have adult physicians for the adults as well. So... Okay, everyone. Well, donate if you can, because there aren't very many attorneys who are willing to take on these cases. And generally the ones who are um, like Matt Staver's team, they're entirely pro bono. So they're representing clients like Dr. Moon without charging Dr. Moon so that she has to go through hell and just bleed out her entire life savings. So it's people like us who have stepped in the gap. Um, if If you've got 50 bucks, if you've got 500 bucks, dig deep. And um, I will make sure that I get uh, a donation into you as well. But thank you so much and God bless you, Dr. Moon. And I'm so glad we got to have this conversation. We need more doctors like you. Yeah, thank you so much for having me on. Please look at that webpage. It has the documents about my case. And I think you'll find that to be very interesting reading. So uh, take a look at those documents. They're all public record. So Okay, thank you. We'll, we'll check them out and we will put them in the show notes. Thank you everyone and happy new year. Happy new year.